0: He said, Come in here, I want you to preach, you know, in, in this new series. And I said, No. And then he hands me the schedule, and my name's already on it. Yep. Yep, that's the way it works around here, I understand. So. Well, we're continuing in the series that, that Doug came up with, uh, What If I Were an Adult, Part 2. And I thought that's a really interesting uh, title because the, the, this series out of Second Corinthians is involving immature Christians. And uh, there are some times that I probably need to, uh, you know, be more of an adult. But I tell you what, sometimes I get tired of adulting and, and just want to be a kid again. Um, but today I want us to look at Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. And this encourages us to be courageous representatives for Jesus Christ. And the key verse is verse 20. And Paul refers to himself and those who are on his team as ambassadors for Christ. He writes, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now the only other time the word ambassador is used in the New Testament is in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 20 where Paul refers to himself as an ambassador in chains. Now an ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. And the United States has ambassadors all over the world and it's a very responsible position. The primary duties of ambassadors are to maintain diplomatic relations with the receiving state and promote foreign policy strategies through international organizations. So when Paul refers to himself as an ambassador for Christ, it's really quite appropriate. But the role of an ambassador should apply to every Christian. Sharing our faith and reconciling people to Christ that's our marching orders jesus told us in matthew 28 18 through 20 all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you so learning to be an ambassador for christ is an important part of our growing to maturity as an adult in Christ. And thinking of a follower of Jesus as ambassadors, that's really quite appropriate. I mean, as Christians, we are like foreigners living in a different country. We speak a different language. We have different traditions, and we live our lives differently. We live in the world, but we are citizens of heaven, and we represent heaven. An ambassador speaks for their country, and as Christians, we speak for Christ. Our job is to speak on God's behalf. Now, I think we are well aware that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not going to appeal to everyone, no matter how good of an ambassador we are. Jesus warned that there would be those who are offended by the cross. Some would love darkness more than light. But the problem is that many believers make Christianity unattractive. They're boring, joyless, hypocritical, and negative. Mark Twain once joked that it was heaven for climate, but hell for company. He obviously didn't enjoy being around Christians. But Jesus said the opposite should be the case. You are the salt of the earth. Salt adds flavor to food. We should add flavor to the world around us. The next verse, he says, you are the light of the world. Light attracts out of darkness, and we are to be a beacon that illuminates the way to Jesus for other people. Titus 2.10 says that we should in every way make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So, how do we learn to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Well, I want us to look at four words that describe our role as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And these all come from this passage, verses 11 through 21. Because Paul here uses himself as an example uh, of, of, of pointing out some of the characteristics that we should learn and adopt. When we understand our role as ambassadors, it should help us make Christianity attractive in a world that is increasingly uncertain and eternally lost. And the first word is transparency. We should be transparent about our intentions to evangelize. Look at verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Now three times the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A relationship with God begins with respecting him as creator and ruler of the universe. And as you come to know God's love, that perfect love casts out fear. But there is always a respect for the authority of God over your life. We respect God as a sovereign ruler of the universe. We value Jesus Christ as the son of God who died for our sins. We honor the Bible as God's word, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We appreciate the difference his presence makes in our daily lives. And since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Now, the word persuade doesn't mean force. It means convince or influence. And the world doesn't understand that. They say, why are you Christians always trying to persuade people you are right? Why are you trying to proselyte people from other religions to believe the way you do? Why are you imposing your values on others? Let the people alone. Well, there are two reasons why we persuade people to accept Christ. And the first is, Jesus commanded us to. I've already pointed out what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. If we respect him, we obey his command. Second, it's just human nature to share good news. If you really believe it is helpful. Now, if you discovered a cure for cancer, that would be wonderful news to the many who uh, are dealing with cancer. And to keep that a cure a secret would be ridiculous, almost criminal. We know what it is to fear the Lord. We know that the Lord has cured us of sin, conquered the grave, and given us meaning to life. And we need to share that with people. That is good news. And if you and I don't share it, we either don't really believe it, or we really don't care about people. Verse 14 says, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. In Acts chapter 26, the apostle Paul was summoned before King Agrippa and asked to defend himself against the charge that Paul was an insurrectionist. Paul stood on the witness stand and told how he had not believed in Jesus until the risen Christ appeared to him in person on the Damascus road. And Paul looked straight at Agrippa and he said, the king is familiar with these things because it was not done in a corner. And then he asked King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then listen to what Agrippa says to Paul. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now, Paul didn't say, I'm sorry you misunderstood me, King Agrippa. I'm not trying to persuade you to be a Christian. Your religion is good enough for you. No. Paul said, short time or long, I pray that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Paul did not hide his motive. He was out to win as many people to Christ as possible. He was transparent about his intentions. So let's not pretend. Let's not see if we can slowly sneak up on people. Let's not disguise the danger or sugarcoat the message. Let's be very bold and courageous. We are definitely trying to win people to Christ. In order to be Christ ambassadors, we need to be transparent. Not just in our intentions, but more importantly, in our behavior. Paul pointed out to the Corinthians that what we are is plain to God and hopefully to you. Now, I like the way the message uh, paraphrases verse 12. We're not saying this just to make ourselves look good to you. We just thought it would make you feel good, even proud that we're on your side and not just nice to your face as many people are. When we are transparent about our weakness, the world senses An authentic relationship with God and that is a part of what learning to be an ambassador for Christ involves now the second word that describes our role as an ambassador is the word intensity to fulfill our role as an ambassador we must be intense in our effort to represent the truth look at verses 13 and 14 if we are out of our mind it is for the sake of God if we are in our right mind it is for you For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore, all died. The one characteristic that is consistently present in any motivator of people is intensity. Emerson observed, Every great and commanding movement in the annals of the world is the triumph of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm enables people to overcome obstacles. Enthusiasm is contagious. It inspires and motivates others. Enthusiasm doesn't necessarily mean loud and boisterous, but it does mean energetic, intense, focused, passionate. You don't have to be a rah, rah, rah type person, but people have to sense an intensity about you that inspires them. And that's the kind of intensity we need in seeking to make a difference in our lives society you know the word enthusiasm comes from two greek words en and theos dwelling in god you can't be in god and not be enthusiastic you can't understand the gospel and not be intense jesus said in revelation 316 that luke christians make him sick the bible says we're never to lose our zeal romans 1211 says keep our spiritual fervor serving the lord Paul was so intense that Governor Festus said he'd lost his mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. And Paul says, I'm not insane, Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. I like the message sometimes because I think the paraphrase really hits home to us here. But look at verses 13 and 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. If I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted over serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and the last word in everything we do. I read about the CIA agents who shared warnings about the possibility of terrorist attacks prior to September 11, 2001. And they were considered by some to be alarmist. But looking back after the attacks, we should realize those people were right. We should have listened to them, but maybe they should have been more intense. Intense Christians may appear to be out of their mind to the world, but if the message is true, then the Christian is the one in the right mind. We can't be cavalier about it. The love of Christ compels us to share the message with intensity, regardless of the reaction intensity should come automatically if we really believe our message is true so let's say you go to a restaurant this afternoon after church and as you walk back from the restroom you glance into the kitchen and you see several people frantically trying to put out a fire that's obviously out of control what are you going to do well you would instantly get real serious and everyone would sense it You would race to your family and begin to usher them out of the restaurant. You'd yell, fire, get out immediately. And that would initially disturb and interrupt people. They wouldn't want to hear it. Now, if that were not true, you are obnoxious and could be arrested. But if true, you would be immoral not to warn people as quickly as possible. Now, I guarantee you, you wouldn't casually say, hey, everybody, I, I got a really great idea. Let, let's pick up our plate and let's, let's take our food and go out and eat on the lawn. It's such a nice day outside. No, you would be so intense, you'd probably be able to convince the entire restaurant of the need to take action now. If there really is a danger of hell and a reward of heaven, then you and I have an obligation to warn and persuade with boldness and intensity. Now, the analogy of the fire doesn't hold true in two aspects, I'll be honest. First, there's probably more time to make a decision than just a few seconds when it comes to receiving Christ. There may be months, even years, before people face the judgment of God. And second, you're not the first person to warn them. In most cases, people have heard the warning and they have chosen to disregard it. They scoff at those who stand up and shout fire. The people who carry signs repent or perish or stand in the street corner and warn about hell, they aren't too effective in persuading people to come to Christ, but everyone has heard the message. We have to be more gentle, more tactful, more patient, more involved in people's lives. But they should still sense an intensity about us that is contagious. When was the last time you were so intense about winning someone to the Lord that you wept over their salvation? A friend, a family member, a co-worker. Jesus did. He wept over Jerusalem's rebellious spirit. Paul did. He told the Ephesian elders, remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Paul uses the word implore in verse 20. Implore means to beg petition and in this context it means to beg earnestly to plead with somebody to do something it involves intensity and urgency now the third word from this passage is perceptivity as ambassadors for christ we are to be perceptive about the potential in people and verses 16 and 17 say this so from now on We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You know, the world tends to evaluate people by the externals. If you're rich, good looking, the famous or famous, the world values you. Otherwise, you aren't worth much. The world ignores you. Verse 12 said that the world takes pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. And Paul admits he dismissed Jesus as the Messiah because he didn't have impressive worldly credentials. But if we are to reconcile people to Jesus, it's important to see people the way the Lord sees them. The world sees externals. We should be looking at the heart. The world sees possessions. We should see potential. And that's what was so wonderful about Jesus. He looked at people for what they could become rather than what they had. I mean, who would have ever guessed that the vacillating Simon Peter would become a rock like leader? That the persecutor Saul would become the preacher Paul? The demon-possessed Mary Magdalene would be the first to see the resurrected Jesus. The proud intellectual Nicodemus would be humbly born again. Or the cheating tax collector Zacchaeus would host Jesus for dinner. When the woman at the well came out to draw waters, others would have seen an immoral woman, married five times, living with a man to whom she is not married. She was a Samaritan, a foreigner to Jesus, one who practiced a different religion. But Jesus saw something more and asked her, could I have a drink? Would you help me? And he broke down the conversational barrier. He led her to belief in him as the Messiah, and she went and told everybody in the city what happened. And the village came out to see Jesus for themselves. You see, others saw a degenerate woman Jesus saw an effective evangelist. The Pharisees saw externals. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus saw them as forgiven disciples and transformed friends. So how do you see the people you associate with regularly? Do you categorize them by externals or do you try to see the heart? I mean, verse 17 said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Elaine K. O. was the Secretary of Labor from 2001 to 2009 during Bush's administration. She later served under Trump's administration as a Secretary of Transportation from 2017 to 2021. And her story is a dramatic one. She's the oldest of six children, and she was in the third grade when her dad, who had fled the danger of communist China, brought the family to America from Taiwan. She didn't speak any English, but she copied what was on the blackboard, and she and her father would study each night. Now, he worked in a shipping yard, and they lived in a one-room apartment. The ice cream truck came regularly into the neighborhood, but it was only once a month that her dad would give her a dime, and she'd buy an ice cream cone and share it with her two younger sisters. She said it was the best ice cream she ever tasted. But Elaine Chao has never forgotten her roots. Even though she has received an outstanding education and headed up the Peace Corps, the United Way, was a member of President Bush's and Trump's cabinets, she's humble And she recalls her father taking her to Sunday school and church each week. And she has a genuine desire to follow the Lord. But if you had been Elaine's third grade teacher, would you have seen her potential? Would you have made an extra effort to help her? You see, it is so important that we see people not from a worldly point of view, that we try to find the heart to see the potential and do what we can to make christ attractive to them because when somebody comes into christ they are a new creation the old has gone the new has come well the final word that i've uh, learning to be an ambassador for christ is the word ministry And here I want us to look at verses 18 and 19. We are committed to a ministry from God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So the focus of our ministry is to reconcile people to God. And to reconcile simply means exchange or restoration to favor. One of my professors, Dr. William Richardson, defined reconcile as to bring into a proper relationship. And our job, our work, is to bring people into a proper relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's say you have some close friends who are in deep financial trouble. They know they've made some serious mistakes and are repentant, but they're $50,000 in debt. And the bill collectors are hounding them, and they're in the danger of having their car repossessed. Now let's imagine that a generous, wealthy man comes up to you and says, I know of your friend's plight, and and I want to give them $100,000. $50,000 to pay their bills and $50,000 to put in their checking account to get them going for the future. Would you deliver the money to them for me? Well, you couldn't wait to go share the good news and deliver the money. Well, people are under a huge debt of sin. They can never pay enough to get out of it. And Satan is too eager to collect what's due him, namely death. But God has offered to pay the debt in full through the riches of Christ Jesus and his death on the cross so that we have life not only will he pay the debt but he credits his righteousness to our account we become the righteousness of christ verse 21 god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god you see it is our ministry to bring those who are at odds with god to peace and reconciliation with him what what a great assignment We are called to share that message. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. It's a joyous ministry. God communicates his message through us. And that's why it's important that we communicate the gospel clearly and accurately. We are ambassadors. We're not negotiators. We represent the king of the universe while we live in a foreign country. And even though some may not receive his word, we must share it accurately not edit it to make it comfortable for everyone. And when we understand that ministry, we do everything we can to represent God favorably. And that's our role as ambassadors. And we won't influence people by political power or intimidating boycotts. Being a follower of Jesus Christ means that we are involved in a ministry of reconciling people to God. And our ministry means to care for one another, to give attention to one another, to serve one another. And a minister is one who, like Jesus, comes to serve and not be served. And when we live unselfishly, genuine, caring for other people, there is an undeniable attraction that is nearly irresistible. Martin and Gracia Burnham were missionaries in the Philippines when they were kidnapped by Muslim militants. During their attempted rescue, Martin was shot and killed in 2001. Gracia would later write a biography of their captivity entitled, In the Presence of My Enemies. Martin had said a year before his death at a farewell meeting that I wasn't called to be a missionary. I wasn't called to the Philippines. I was called to follow Christ, and that's what I'm doing. Well, during the Burnham's captivity, even though they were hungry, Martin and his wife, Gracia, shared their food with the younger members of the militant soldiers holding them captive, many of whom were only children with guns, because they were hungry too. You see, they did a lot of other things in this book described of how they helped them, but they considered themselves ministers of reconciliation. They found ways to love those who held them captive. They were true ambassadors for Christ. Now the Lord may not lead you to the Philippines, but he calls you to be his ambassador to the world and to be as contagious as possible. And that means transparency of intent and behavior, intensity and attitude, perceptivity about the positive potential in people, and a ministry of service and love. And this is so needed in our world, which is uncertain right now so uncertain that the foundations are being shaken we need the assurance and the hope that only jesus christ can bring because we are therefore christ ambassadors as though god were making his appeal through us let's learn to grow into our role as an ambassador for jesus christ let's pray Father, this is quite a calling, a little overwhelming to even think about it, but yet the world needs it, and that's our assignment. So Father, help us to step up into the role of learning to be an ambassador for you as we seek to reconcile people, to bring them into a proper relationship with you guide us this week as we look for those opportunities to share Christ that neighbor, that coworker, that friend that we might be able to walk through an open door and be instrumental in showing them Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Need to remind you we're going to tear down the sanctuary is that right Doug? I guess there's a preschool thing going on here or whatever, something this week. Anyway, so if you want to help tear down tables, chairs, no, not if you want to help, you will help tear down the tables, no, (laughs) I need to be more intense about that, sorry.